Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us on a no, no, another episode of The Next Stop is the Best Stop. I am one of your co-hosts, Tamika. I have my other co-host, Jason, here. And today, we're going to take a break. I think the last few episodes has been about uh, closing the wage gap between African Americans and uh, the rest of the country, basically, and how you do that. We've had several guests on to talk about that. We're going to switch it up a little bit this week. We're going to talk about Atlanta, but in a different format. As you know, Jason and I are both planners. We deal with transportation, but planning has different facets, and our guest today can provide a, uh, a much more uh, different facet about planning and how Atlanta was settled. And it's got to do with water. So our guest today is a graduate of Georgia Tech, like like us here on the channel. He is a graduate of Georgia Tech in the Civil Engineering Department. He has worked with Long Engineering. He's worked now at uh, Sherwood Engineers. And his work focuses on stormwater, the watersheds of Atlanta, and how it's impacted how Atlanta has developed. Developed for African Americans, white Americans, the list goes on. Um, we think of how Atlanta's developed through policies, through civil rights, but it goes deeper than that. And so please welcome our guest, Haitham Shata. Uh, we're so glad to have you here on the next stop is the best stop. Thanks, Haitham. Hey, thanks for the intro. Uh, my name's Haitham Shada. Like like you said, I am a civil engineer, um, but and I do struggle trying to communicate what my job is. Um, one thing that I had learned is history is a um, a great instigator um, to conversation, um, and infrastructure is really one of the leading factors to industry. Um, and when we think about how our cities are built um, and how humans created civilization, um, it was land, water, city. I mean, an intersection of those three things were how industry developed. Um, Atlanta is an interesting place um, when you think about the age of most cities. Um, the age of most cities and most great cities um, lived in the river ages, um, the ages when rivers were the way to come uphill. Um, you take boats up the Mississippi or the Hudson and you develop an infrastructure around that. Um, Atlanta was when we decided we could go uphill with rail. Um, and when we decided to go up a hill with rail and we started building cities around these ridges, um, it created a juxtaposition with stormwater um, that was about um, how do we move flows away from this infrastructure. Um, and the natural human reaction to that is creating uh, value around this ridge and then pushing the things that are not valuable away from this ridge. Um, and so I'm hoping to talk a little bit around um, what that means in regards to infrastructure and watershed. But one thing that I want to communicate is watershed is a lens into issues. Watershed is not a cause of issues. Um, and so uh, I'm hoping to kind of talk a little bit around Atlanta's history um, and how that relates to that. Um, Tamika, maybe I'll pass, jump back to you. Would you want me to start a little bit around the Atlanta history when it yes. comes to sewers? Okay. Yes, please. Right. I think that's that what, because when Jason and I talk and we talk about the history and Jason jump in at any time, we're thinking about trains, right? We're transit planners. We're thinking about how Atlanta developed around railroads. And that's really what people know. So please educate us on how on the other side of the lens, as you would say. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I like doing is stepping back into history of maps. Um, I like yes. to pull anywhere, any city I work into, I pull maps. And some of the oldest maps I've found, um, there's a David Rumsey connection. It's amazing um, that talks about the geology of the Appalachian Plateau 
um, and its relationship to the Piedmont Plateau and these little pimples that keep popping up in Atlanta representing things like Stone Mountain um, and the quarry. Mm -hmm. um, and when you start thinking about it, that ridge extends down to Alabama and there's this awkward fold um, that represents a ridge that was difficult to passage over. Mm. Um, and a lot of our country was built before that. Um, before the 1809, we were really getting around on horse and buggy still. And so these passages were about cutting through, um, not as much riding the ridges. Um, they were paths away from rivers and over these, these, these ridges. Um, Atlanta had this Peachtree Ridge. Um, this Peachtree Ridge is not really a peach tree ridge it was called the pitch tree ridge um, in indigenous times and it's because it landed in a fold that represented a, a hill a steep hill i mean downtown atlanta is like 10 percent steep but it flattens out quickly after it um and there are natural downhill connections to the savannah natural downhill connections to chattanooga and natural downhill connections to alabama um and one thing that uh, i like to bring up is um there was chattanooga there was atlanta there was Alabama, there were all these cities, and there were people in between, and these people were the indigenous people, the Cherokee people. And so in 1836, um, Colonel Hamilton really made his way from Chattanooga, trying to find a connection to Ross's Landing in Chattanooga, um, and the other side of the Chattahoochee River. The Chattahoochee River lives on a fold. It's not a geologic cut that is created traditionally like rivers rivers usually are large watersheds wide watersheds the chattahoochee river is this narrow watershed that falls within a, a, a fault um and finding a way across that was very steep um so he made his way down the ridge and after four months he found his way to a to a a, a peachtree creek um he crossed peachtree creek followed a ridge and he found what he wanted at the top of that ridge it was a flat saddle and a small spring um, that spring is the Proctor Creek Spring. Um, that's what it's assumed. And today it lies underneath the federal building. Um, and uh -huh. af and after, after he got there, um, he actually didn't really like it. He kept going down south to where I was born. They're not born, where I was raised. Um, Griffin, Georgia. He thought Griffin, Georgia was a better place. And Griffin, Georgia is on another ridge, um, 1941. 1941 is one of the older ridge roads that could lead all the way to the north. Everyone's probably heard those songs uh, uh -huh. around it. Um, and he settled in a home in Griffin, Georgia. Um, and he thought that's where it, that rail should have ended. Um, but mm. from then on, he um, Atlanta was now primed geographically. Mm. And then with the Trail of Tears in 1838, there was an explosion of development in, in the region. And Atlanta became the ful fulcrum for that. Um, and that defined a triangle um, right deep in the middle of the city. A triangle that still sits today at the Georgia World Congress Center. Um, that sits today um, with the entire Northside Drive. You think of old money of Atlanta, you think about the development that's happening at the state level on this ridge. Um, and what does that mean? Well, we built a city around this. Um, and you start thinking about history. You always like putting the timeline of Atlanta in your head. Thinking about what happened when Sherman burned this city down. I mean, how did we reconstruct it? Um, something I brought up to Mika in our Georgia Tech conversations is there are two major, maybe three, if you consider the Atlanta prison farm. I haven't dug into its history as much. Major locations where we were able to mine the resources of the earth and mine the people of this region to rebuild our city after reconstruction. Um, and that's the Chattahoochee brick site, that's the mm -hmm. Bellwood Quarry, mm -hmm. and that's um, the prison labor farm. And there's some momentum to these locations. I, I don't know how to describe it. But their proximity to the ridge, they actually can get in the ridge and they can get to the lowlands. Their proximity to poor income. Um, there is a momentum to these locations that still exist today. 
um, the old Fulton County uh, uh, prison labor camp is now the Fulton County Jail. The same place that we're talking about these civil rights abuses where people are dying from bed bugs is the same Ooh. place where we enchain children um, to break rocks and rebuild our city. And so what we were really hoping to do is try to talk about these conversations and these linkages because when we think about how Atlanta is built and we think about the projects, the federal housing projects that we built in Buttermilk Bottoms, um, the federal housing projects we built in the west side around the quarry, the federal housing projects we did on um, carry homes in, um, and on the west side near the river. There is a reason there is a proximity of this labor to a lot of regional infrastructure. And then it disappeared when we didn't need their proximity anymore. Um, there are literal sayings, there are books that say um, some agreements, particularly about racial control, were explicit. A few were written and others were tacit. The main contours of biracial agreements of that period are clear. The white business elite wanted to move blacks and low-income whites away from the fringe of the business district, especially on the east and the south sides. Mm. Um, that's a book, Regime Politics, Governing Atlanta, um, 1946 <laughs> to 1988. And you see that still. Um, where are we planning to put all of our affordable housing that Atlanta Housing Authority owns on these same lands? Mm -hmm. um, and what are we doing to change this? That's my biggest issue. Um, we are ignoring affordable housing as an opportunity to address some of these issues. Um, because Tamika, I, I remember I showed you a couple of slides around some of the A, demographics, and B, the cost savings that we created by using convict and prison labor. Mm -hmm. And over 80% of our gutters, over 80% of our ex excavation costs, over 50% of our drop inlets were completely subsidized by this this prison labor, this slavery and its other name. And now we use these same pipes that go underneath um, Catherine Johnson Memorial Park. There's a reason that park is named that. Where it goes through Vine City, it, it comes through Entrenchment Creek, it goes to the South River. That's the infrastructure we still use today, and we keep hearing from the city that we can't afford to fix it when we never could afford to build it. Mm. And I think that's kind of what I've been pushing as a dialogue to talk about stormwater and infrastructure as a lens to understand the history of industry, to understand the history of infrastructure and connections from ocean to ridge to mountains to lowlands, and how the human like development patterns have had to change as we build this city. And that's a long-winded story, and I could dig into more detail, but I wanted to kind of pause there and get y'all's thoughts. Yeah, I actually, oh God, I got so many questions. The ridge that you talk about, say that one more time, that it was the triangle. It was the Northside Drive, Georgia World Congress Center. What else? What, what, what made so that triangle? The way, I, the way I boundary it today is about Northside Drive. It's where the city is, you know how everyone tries to complain about the city of Atlanta have an awkward block system in the middle of the city? Mm -hmm. There's like a weird angular component um, that started off at this rail line and then an offset till the topography got to a steepness that it can be a block. Mm -hmm. And that's the exact geometry of downtown Atlanta. So the middle of downtown Atlanta is a triangle that almost feathers out into larger and larger blocks. Mm -hmm. And there is an element of stormwater that in the core of the city the creeks and the streams are in the roads. Um, these streams come to life every time it rains. 
and then as the blocks open up, it turns and it flattens out. And that's the kind of those are the kind of block systems that you start noticing at the fringes, like Georgia Tech and Peters. Um, you start noticing that at the Civic Center. You start noticing that around um, like uh, where a lot of the flooding issues happen on the west side and Turner Field as well. Okay. All right. So, um, Jason, I don't want to take over all of it, but um, I guess I had another question, and that would be, um, what do you think would have happened if they had taken the colonel's suggestion of Griffin? How do you think things would have been different for Georgia? Um, the interesting thing about Griffin, and it, it's I have a weird obsession with Norlily facing watersheds. Um, Atlanta has four watersheds radiating. Um, Decatur has two. Atlanta has two. Um, I found, I think Macon has three. There's something to the amount of ridges pointing to a city that defined its, defined its economic power and potency in Atlanta. And if you go to every little city in the U, if you go on Google Maps right now, and you look at every city that's called out at the Georgia scale, and you zoom in, you're going to see a rail line coming from multiple directions at it. And there's a strong correlation to the amount of rail lines pointing at it, to the amount of ridges pointing at it, to where those ridges connect. And so I would say Griffin would be a place that Atlanta could have grown, but we would not be able to build the, the, the um, highway system the same. We would have not been able to um, honestly leverage the type of labor and get the amount of lowland to highland benefits as we would um, in other cities. So I, I would say Atlanta kind of entered into that weird geographic lens of like close enough to the ocean and close enough to the ridgeline that we could connect to so many topographies um, and slopes. Uh, Y'all are transportation planners. Like I've always had a fascination and it started when I worked on, uh, I worked on um, uh, over by Studioplex on the Beltline. It was the first Beltline facing commercial frontage. And my biggest like issue was there was no sewer line. Why? Because that rail line was there before there was sewage in Atlanta. <laughs> And wow. when I started thinking about, well, what does this mean to the urban fabric of the Beltline, um, we had to get into multiple conversations with the city and figure out a new legal way to serve our grease tap straps. Otherwise, we would have not been allowed to have restaurants on the Beltline. It started making me understand that infrastructure isn't about what makes sense. It's about what came first. Um, and Atlanta just kind of fell in a good timeline of our blindness to um, community and social issues and the industrial boom and the industrial evolution, so. Wow. That, yeah, that's, that. it, it's fascinating. And I think it just highlights too that how interconnected, and I always harp on this, so I'll have to, forgive me, uh, Tamika's, you, you know, you, you hear me say this all the time, but um, everything, everything ultimately is in fact connected to everything else, right? We have a tendency to think of infrastructure like so many things in, in a silo. So it's like watershed stuff's over here, bike and pedestrian stuff is over here, transit stuff is over there. And of course, we, we all know that that's not how the universe works, right? That's not reality. And so how the, the layering of infrastructure, the way you were just describing, is in fact why things are it, it, it explains the complexity it explains why from a transit standpoint why it's this is why it's complicated this is why it does take a long time to get stuff done in addition to other political, <laughs> political and, and, and other kinds of um, dynamics that are also playing into that 
And yeah, the Beltline, I mean, you know, that's there it's there's a lot of controversy once again circulating around it because the transit component is the component the component of the Beltline that's lagging behind everything else. And ironically, it was supposed to be the thing that was supposed to be the focal point. And then in fact, now that it has lagged so long, the politics is shifting. And now it's it, it's becoming more and more challenging for the transit aspects of the Beltline to actually advance because of these the kinds of complexities that we're talking about, right? So, I th- well, you you kind of hit something on the Beltline that mm-hmm. I find um, a culturally intriguing and infrastructurally impactful. So the Beltline represent think of the city as a, on a mountain. Um, there are four ridge roads, um, Peachtree Street, DeKalb Avenue, uh, Marietta, and um, what is whatever Peachtree turns into because they didn't want to name it the same street because it went to the black community, uh, the one that comes back around, it comes towards you, Tamika, down around Hapeville. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start seeing that there is no way for any sewage to make it through the Beltline without using a pipe. Mm. Name one portion of the Beltline that is elevated none yeah there's some that were but none are and there is one typology of the belt line is working stream the creek that is an old um and there are portions where elevated above it portions intersect the creek and that creates a geologic typology fall along the sides of and then you think about portions of the Beltline that are disconnected. Um, the portions of the Beltline that touch ridges. That is Entrenchment Creek and Proctor Creek. There's a reason that it's hard to develop over there, and it's because of the topographic conditions. The land is valuable. And when you think about how that relationship makes a situation where the Beltline touches every ridge and every valley, and the only way that communities can make their way stability wise the city is to poke through it how do Mm -hmm. we think about every junction and every node every waterway and every ridge is an opportunity not to only think about the ridges it connects but people in the lowlands that did not have that connection before how is that an opportunity to think perpendicularly to the alignment of the beltline because i did struggle i've worked on boulevard crossing park and the reality of it is when it is a waterway hitting the Beltline, the scale of the problem is humongous, and the scale the thing is not for that problem. The scale of the funding is for the whatever forty foot, fifty foot wide right away. And how do we acknowledge that this Beltline represents a belt, a draw, mm-hmm. a, a, a literal belt? And every time that you hit a ridge or every time you hit a valley. You can look up that valley and you can get your way to the top, to downtown Atlanta. And ha- there is a story about the lowlands and there's a story about the ridges in between that is um, visible as you walk through it. You, you get over that. I've always wanted, my biggest hope was there are there like four or five points where major creeks cross the Beltline. What if they did some ch- like realistic chalk art to show people, A, the infrastructure and B, the natural creek that laid through there that now is in a pipe um, and make people understand that if you're in the middle of downtown and there's a drop of water, there's a drop of oil, there's a cigarette butt, there's a leaf that goes into the gutter, it passes underneath that point 
on the belt line. Mm. Um, and when you mm. think about that and you think about how that relates to downstream issues like the South River Forest, um, it becomes more of an understanding that watershed is a lens that has a, an, an area of accountability. Um, Absolutely. So with all of these storm waters and watershed uh, caveats, uh, Atlanta, uh, it has affected how we develop. And you, with my work with you, Hytham, we've been focused on the west side of Atlanta and, you know, the Fulton County Jail, Vine City, on the other side of the GWCC, that thing, that, that sort of thing, the quarry, uh, the labor that was used later and how that affected how people where they live, where the uh, the former housing projects were. I think I mentioned to you previously that I had uh, recently visited Southview Cemetery, which is on the southeast side of Atlanta. And Jason and I talk about this all the time as well. Uh, as planners, we know that is the last bastion of uh, basically land in the city of Atlanta. And when I was on my way to Southview, I was going through all the neighborhoods, uh, wherever Google told me to go. But there are some major hills. And when I think of hills through neighborhoods, I think of, oh, this is a geologic, um, this is geologic. This is, there's some water under here. There's, I don't know where I am, but I was going up and down and up and down almost as if I was in San Diego again. And I guess that's what I wanted to ask you. What are the uh, watershed uh, issues uh, on the southeast side of Atlanta? Are they similar? Are there ridges? Uh, what needs to be done on that side of Atlanta? So it's kind of interesting, like I told you, the Atlanta. So what is Stone Mountain? What is the quarry? Um, that is granite being pushed up by the plates. And so there are a lot of cities where the hills are the water and the air carving dirt, and that is the definition of topography. Mm-hmm. Atlanta is a city where the definition of topography isn't because of the water, it's because of this uplift outrunning, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. erosive factor of the water. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to infrastructure, um, there are two things that make a city hard and easy to manage. Something to keep in mind we didn't even know there were waterborne in the illnesses till 1850. Mm. Um, we didn't build our first sewer plant in Atlanta till 1915. So building a city before then meant, can I get my sewage out as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. So when you build a city around a hill, that topography helps you. 
you are able to push the sewage down. New York has the biggest issues because it's kind of flat and sewer backs up because the pipe pressure rises. In Atlanta, there is this ridge, these mountains and these hills, and Atlanta is one of the biggest ones where our sewage issues fly down the hill. And when we decided, ooh, we don't want to do that anymore, now that created a lot of the combined sewer and what people don't call combined sewer, but they are still combined sewers in Atlanta. Um, one of the city's biggest issues is the definition of a sewer is what the city spends more of its time arguing mm -hmm. than the design of a sewer. Mm. Um, and I think that is one of the biggest reasons I kind of left the city of Atlanta. Mm. I'm, I've had situations where the city closes the door and they say, we can't afford to model. We can't afford to survey. We can't afford to design. And we can't even afford to build this issue. We barely are able to follow the Clean Water EPA Act. I'm sorry, this is your problem to figure out. Um, and that air of liability, um, there's not a single sewer line I've been able to get from the city of Atlanta for a nonprofit in five years. However, developers are able to get sewer lines from their GIS. And the answer that nonprofits get is because of 9-11 and security issues. Um, mm -hmm. they, that is not the same answer developers get. Um, and when you look at the type of comments that occurred, um, we help push some of the new stormwater ordinance you through our entrenchment creek work um the city of atlanta tried to change their calculations for sewer and stormwater especially in these hilly areas to communicate that the dilution of the sewage is what we should monitor not the amount of fecal coliform in the sewage the colonies of fecal coliform in the sewage we should be monitoring um, and honestly the biggest environmental hazard to atlanta's waterways is the Atlanta airport. Um, there is a there is a reason that the South River overflows almost every time it rains, and it's because the city cannot afford to fix the infrastructure of taking a drop of sewage that originates downtown and it makes its way all the way down Entrenchment Creek through Summer Hill, makes its way all the way down to Boulevard Crossing and cuts through the Beltline around the Georgia Power Station, makes its way down to an open sewage creek, it gets all the way to a sewer Custer Avenue, goes to three wastewater treatment plants, and then it makes a 10-mile journey all the way back to the Chattahoochee River. And halfway between that journey is the sewer coming from the Atlanta airport. Mm -hmm. The city of Atlanta cannot address these little hills of infrastructure in southeast Atlanta um, well. And that is one of the biggest issues, I'd say, that southeast Atlanta has. Um, it's just the scale of infrastructure required um, is not keeping up. So. Yeah. So... Okay, I'm ignorant on this topic. So the water does get cleaned, right, through the sewer treatment plant, right? It's not like raw sewage going into the South River and into the Atlantic. This is where it gets tricky. Um, i got to be careful with my vocabulary. Uh, the city of Atlanta has a series of screening chlorinating devices um, that are designed for specific storms that there is a way for the city to not send it to the South River Water Reclamation Facility, South River Water Treatment Plant, um, still not be considered a combined sewer overflow. Um, this is where it comes to the biosolids issue. Um, the oh. city of Atlanta, uh, several years back, and I think they may have addressed it finally, and it, everyone's heard about the poop tank or the poop train that New York sent down. Um, I want to hear more about that. I didn't hear about it, but yeah, so, we'll get to that. <laughs> so yeah, the city of Atlanta cannot treat enough of the sediment 
because sediment is also all the construction happening within the Beltline, all the litter, all the uh-huh. trees, all the cigarette butts, all that mixes in with the sewage. They cannot put that in a traditional landfill. And so what they've been using, and this is my opinion, i got to be clear, this is my opinion, mm-hmm. they have about several million gallons of combined sewer tanks mm-hmm. meant for stormwater. Uh-huh. They fill those tanks up with sewage and sediment from the sewage. They skim the liquid off of it because that's easy to send. And they wait till a legally allowed event that can be a combined sewer overflow, and they open it up. Um, there are events that are a quarter inch in nature that the amount of water that falls in the watershed is less than the amount of sewage, is, uh, less than the amount of combined sewer overflowing at that point. Um, and that is one of the biggest issues with the South River watershed. There is a, they cannot afford to bring back Entrenchment Creek Water Treatment Plant. And if you go look at Entrenchment Creek Water Treatment Plant right now, I mean, every single tank in Google Earth is filled to the brim with sediment. Um, and then you go look at Custer Avenue CSO, and there is a, a an orange tint of dirt coming out of it, and there is no com- there is no water treatment plant upstream of any of that. So, Ew. sorry, I danced around the answer, but yeah. yeah, okay. So it's nasty, and they yeah. they're letting it out. What, what are these events called again? You, you said it was an event where they said, okay, now you can let go of the, what's in the tank. The, the federal government considers anything less than a 0.1 inch event something that has to, that it's called dry weather. Okay. Um, a dry weather overflow means raw sewage leaving when it's not raining. Uh, That's when the city gets hit hard. Uh-huh. Anything over 0.1 inch event is combined a, called a combined sewer overflow. Okay. Um, and there, there are fines the city can pay when that happens. And but those fines usually are much less than the cost of actually treating the sewage. Um, and so one thing that happened, there is a what is it? The Council for Growth in Atlanta. Uh-huh. Um, they wrote a letter trying to justify reducing the water quality standards overflowing from Entrenchment Creek, saying that that is meant to help with affordable housing upstream. Uh-huh. Um, that is what we are reaching to the point of. Um, making that conclusion. And to be frank, one of the reasons it's happening is climate change. Uh-huh. These intense cloud burst events, uh, yes. you can't capture those in a wastewater treatment plant. And the city made the decision after the Olympics that they were not going to separate stormwater or combined sewage. They were just going to address capacity due to regulatory to regulatory standards. So. Not it's very technical, I'm sorry. <laughs> stormwater combined yeah. sewage. Basically, we were growing. They couldn't handle it. And so basically, they Entrenchment Creek Water Treatment Plant is no longer open. Yep. There's not a single drop of water on the, the subcontinental divide from downtown to Entrenchment Creek and South River that does not enter, that enters the waterway of Entrenchment Creek and the South River without it being paired with sewage. Um, there is not a single clean water treatment plant in that subcontinental side of Atlanta that can actually legally convey clean water back into the South River. The only things that are permitted are sewage overflow facilities. Uh, okay, so basically they need what's at a, um, off of Northside Drive, the water treatment plant there in Atlanta, across, you know, across, well, yep. now from Atlantic Station. They need that on the South River end. 
Yeah, they made the financial decision 10 years ago that they can't afford that tunnel. So they built the tunnel on the west side. There was an east side tunnel being designed, Mm -hmm. and they decided that the cost-benefit analysis did not pencil out. Ooh, Jesus, Lord have mercy. Okay, um, Jason, (laughs) this is, oh, God, I'm overwhelmed right now. Okay. Um, so, okay, tell me about this bulk solids thing. We talked about that in one of our meetings. And let me tell you, I couldn't, (laughs) when you said bulk solids being sent out, I wasn't right for the rest of the day. I was like, the poop train? Please explain and and elaborate more on that for me. So that relates to the overflow issue. So, um, like I said, everything within the belt line has to mix with sewage, generally. There's a couple of basins separated. Um... And that means that all of that sewage mixes with sediment, dirt, debris, everything on your car that you see that washes off and it rains that has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. There are specific treatment processes that that biosolids has to go through under the Water Act. Mm-hmm. The Clean Water Act has very strict standards to what those biosolids are treated to and what the water is treated to. Um, and what the city ends up having to do is screen out a certain percentage of that, mm-hmm. and they have to send that to a regulated landfill that allows all the things that people flush from from prescription, from people taking too many prescriptions, like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the city ran out of places to put that. If you go look around every wastewater treatment plant in Atlanta, you Google wastewater treatment plant Atlanta, you're going to find a landfill right next to it. And on that landfill, you're going to see these really steep points that's clear they can't go any higher. Um, And sometimes you'll see some gray crap put around it um, because they've been trying to fit some more on there. And the city's (laughs) out of landfills. And what is tough for Atlanta is it's really financially hard to make money on treating that biosolids without a river. This is where carbon kicks in. Um, Rivers are great places to put big barges that large sewage volumes can be moved between. Nashville creates Music City Gold. It's actually a fertilizer that's made out of all of the sewage of the region. People bring their barges, they convert it into methane that they're re-injecting back into the pipelines, and they're tr- converting the solids into um, into a fertilizer. That's how London was built. That's how a lot of cities were built, like Paris, where they would take the human waste and take it out to the fields and use it as fertilizer. Atlanta doesn't have that ability, and to get the sewage up to the ridge takes a lot of energy because the ridge is where the rail lines are, mm-hmm. and so Atlanta hasn't had many good options. Um, and a lot of it, and this is where socioeconomics comes in, um, Atlanta cannot raise their water rates without displacing people um, at this point. Mm. Atlanta can't afford to build their infrastructure without more development. And so there's always this cost-benefit analysis that happens in Atlanta of, like, who am I displacing today versus who am I um, building for? Mm. Um, because Atlanta, within the Beltline, they haven't updated their flood map since like 1986 because of these sewer issues and because of displacement. Um, and it's just, it's really intertangled um, because people think about sewage and they think about the water when the water isn't really the issue. It's, it's the this. things that the water carries um, that is the issue. So. Okay. So let me walk that back. So basically it, for Atlanta to build the right for proper infrastructure, um, they would displace people, meaning. Well, they, well, not they would displace people as much as, 
like they would have to raise their rates, which could cause massive Gotcha. Inflation. I understood. Yeah. Now. Okay. Yeah. Water, your cost. bill, your cost. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're making twenty grand a year and your bill goes to four hundred dollars a month, how are you gonna afford that? Right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Understood. So, when Shirley Franklin was in office and she did, uh, uh, what is exactly did she do? Because I know that was a big to do about the sewer and I don't know what she did, but you tell me. I'm, I need to be educated. I'm pretty old, so I don't really remember, but I'll Google it. <laughs> 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 um, I think something that Shirley Franklin kind of did, and I, I recall, I was a kid. I was born in 92. <laughs> but she she really started pushing infrastructure from, like, the pothole posse to mm-hmm. um, rebuilding the city in the, like, early 2000s. Um, 2000s was around the time that Atlanta was starting to get hit by federal consent decrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing to keep in mind, Atlanta goes through eras of acknowledging issues and eras of not acknowledging issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She was part of the era that was willing to politically acknowledge problems like urban runoff issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Atlanta had entered an era, and this is when I started working in Atlanta, um, between 2011 and 12 till right about now, Mm -hmm. where they want to allow as much development as possible politically. um, And they have been very hesitant to making many bold moves ever since the lawsuit happening in Summer Hill. Um, off the record, I've heard that Atlanta has an internal policy due to their law department that they will not do any stormwater improvements using private property unless a unless a property owner files a complaint through 311 to avoid law, law issues. Um, and so, like, I remember when I was still working in the community, like, part of the way that you can even get an acknowledgement of the issue was going through 311 and creating a a written um, request. Um, And that is one of the issues that I've noticed that since the Shirley Franklin era, and even honestly, Kasim was doing some stuff. It was a little shady, but he was still doing some stuff. (laughs) And that was the pinnacle of infrastructure differences and changes that were happening Mm -hmm. after that it became a lot of chasing and changing regulations Mm -hmm. to avoid penalties penalties. wow and climate change has been a large issue of that too i will not i will not fully put it on the city so okay okay yeah so you said x next to every uh sewage treatment plant is a landfill did i hear that right generally yep so because they would treat the water but then the stuff that they can't treat that is no longer water, that's a solid, it goes into this landfill. Did I say that right? Yep. Ew. Um, and, and they don't always treat the water. Sometimes they just shoot a bunch of chlorine in the water and send the sewage through some fat grates, and that's what they put in those landfills. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My making accent coming out right now. What are we drinking? Oh, you're drinking water upstream. That's a good thing. You ain't downstream. You don't want to be in. You don't want to be in Columbus. <laughs> so people in so people in Columbus are drinking like water with some solids in it. The South River um, one is way worse, but yeah, the Atlanta the Atlanta Proctor Creek stuff is much better. Um, but the South River, um, and I'm not sure who drinks it in the South River, but the South River is a lot more rural. Um, and that is one of the where the larger contaminant issues. Um, if you talk to Jackie at the South River Conservancy, the recent and this is getting a little political, but the recent um, uh, protests against the South River police um, uh, 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 facility, uh-huh. um, they were trying to address 
address it also through environmental issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the Army Corps and the EPA, I think they have like a regulatory limit to the amount of sediment in the creek. And the sediment in the creek includes poop, but it includes everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like a certain tonnage. Um, there was a gauge out there that they finally went and looked at, and um, the the, uh, the the professor found that it was like multiple times over the legal limit. Um, they wrote a paper around it. They got the media involved, and within a week, the Atlanta Police Department in DeKalb County went and ripped that gauge out of the creek. Um, mm. And so there's a lot of the South River is a little uh, under under um, focused. Um, but that, that, that side of town is dealing with some of the worst contamination issues. And from what I hear, um, a lot of the issues are um, then the city will settle with owners, but then they make them sign an NDA. Um, so that a lot of this cannot be discussed by owners. So. Okay. So we, so I guess anybody to the, so the South River, that's going southeast, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So any county southeast of georgia are they could be drinking water that's kind of suspect yeah well yeah I, I think they're treating it so one thing to keep in mind water treatment facilities clean it really well uh, okay. i wouldn't worry about people drinking water mm-hmm. um i would worry more about environmental and this is something i'm working with one of our tamika we're actually going to involve this with some of the stuff we're doing with you mm-hmm. um the self-determination of health environmental and environmental factors um is something that we want to evolve our understanding of stormwater and, and sewage with mm-hmm. um, where if you are living in these areas um, these lowland areas where you have less air movement you have more pollution con- accumulation you have historic soil infill to build your property um, what are the environmental exposures that you have relative to someone that's sitting on a ridge where all these pollutions are washing away where there isn't as much soil brought in because you're on a high point and how is that infecting people downstream of these cities? Okay. Um, and I would say, like, the concerns in the South River are, it's a pretty intact ecosystem providing a lot of benefit. Um, creeks do provide a lot of this treatment. Mm-hmm. And these people are living near these cliques and floodways. And what are the environmental exposures they're, they're exposed to when we have people toilet paper in the trees um like how, how do you expect your kid not to play around in the dirt mm-hmm. um and 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 being uh, being um around that 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 type of pollution so wow yeah. okay this is yeah. <laughs> i i ooh, okay it's sobering yep. yeah it is very sobering because i think they should really teach this in school because we don't know what happens after we poop <laughs> honestly no. right rp or use the restroom but what really happens to that water? My son has asked many a times, what's happening under the ground? Where, When I flush the toilet, where does this go? And I can only tell him but so so much. I'll talk to you offline, Hytham, uh, about maybe getting him some tours. And me too, because I'm very ignorant about water treatment, watershed, wastewater, that sort of thing. So, And I don't know if you've mentioned this before, but when you talk about where biosolids have been sent illegally like not illegally but maybe shipped off in a train what was that about so new york city uh, one thing to keep in mind and i think it's the same guy mm-hmm. um he designed so there are sewers and there are interceptors you'll hear mm-hmm. those words a lot with, with sewers were around before we built water treatment plants interceptors were built to carry water to water treatment plants mm-hmm. Um, interceptors are kind of the things that go to Proctor Creek 
and overflow interceptors are kind of things that eventually we decided to build huge tunnels and dump sewage into the tunnels rather than overflow in the creek but the guy that designed all these interceptors between like 1890 and 1920 was the same dude like we can't even build a park in 10 years in atlanta this guy was building them in new york and atlanta at the same time and so what ended up happening is we got really good at moving large blocks of sewage to locations that carry solid but now what do we do with those solids since we don't have farms around cities Mm -hmm. um london paris they were good at using some of those solids at night and taking them to these farms and like using it well in new york they put it on a train and sent it to alabama and there was i think like a contractual issue that happened in between and so the poop just sat on the train Mm -hmm. Um, there are a lot of and this is tamika what we're saying could happen in peter's parking deck um, there are now abilities to create methane and biosolid extraction, um, but the traditional capitalistic economy does not pencil it out. Mm. But when you think about methane being 10 times the carbon issue as CO2, um, if we could find a way to incentivize methane capture um, at a city scale, um, we could actually create a big dent in this and biosolids are only an issue when they haven't been digested Um, but if you can digest it through technology and and, Mm -hmm. and, um, new wastewater treatment facilities um, it becomes a resource um, and it becomes something that isn't just sitting in a landfill it could actually be part of a regenerative strategy for ecology and community so Mm -hmm. great great um uh, jason please jump in because i got like questions going through my head right now uh, Hytham, if you think about the growth of um, Atlanta and how it's just charging ahead, and Jason and I deal with the fact that they're, they're charging ahead with very little passenger uh, train infrastructure. Well, what did I say very little for? None. Um, and so we don't have any infrastructure on that. We have a lot of people coming in. We don't have a way to get them to work, to get them home, to get them to destinations. Uh, we know on the transit side what they need to do. What is it that the city of Atlanta needs to do to become the city uh, that can handle their watershed, that can handle, that can manage their stormwater treatments and all of those things from your perspective? What would the city need it to do? Um, the city's been sitting on a stormwater ordinance since 2012 that would address a lot of these issues. Um, every time it's come back up, it's been killed out by the Council of Growth and all of these other developer groups. Ah, um, okay. A, first step, just do what you already said you want to do. Mm-hmm. The calculations are there, and half of the watershed department has left mm-hmm. because of these issues. Mm-hmm. Second, let's do zoning on the ridge that acknowledges these issues and requires developers to do more. New York City is requiring every new development to retain one and a half inches and there is no room to do anything in New York City. Mm. And there are no exemptions. Um, Atlanta is not willing to make those decisions. And if you broke up the city into its quadrants of watersheds and you identified what needs to happen along the ridge of Marietta Street through zoning, along the ridge of Petrie Street through zoning, along the ridge of Decab through zoning and Whitehall through zoning, you could then restore some of the capacity that already exists in downstream systems mm-hmm. um, and force creativity in development patterns. Um, because Atlanta's stuck in this rut of developers wanting to build five story buildings because they don't want to actually build the level of density that costs money and they want to be able to tear it down in 20 years and actually build something new. But without forcing that investment, 
along the ridge, climate change is going to wipe out every bit of capacity improvements the city does downstream. And cities like New York, um, I learned a lot of this in Gowanus, because the city of New York spent 10 years, multi-billion dollars, sizing these tanks similar to what the city wants. It's already put um, in Atlanta. Um, the tanks that they want to put in Summerhill, the tanks they've already installed at the Civic Center, the, and the kind of tank that um, exists in um, Vine City, they, as New York said, that doesn't work anymore. The calculations they made will not help them in climate change. Mm -hmm. And they decided that we need to approach this differently. Mm -hmm. um, and they decided that developers are going to have to do more. And they decided that certain developers are going to be made to do more because of their proximity to these issues and their creation of these issues. And I would say infrastructure-based zoning, mm -hmm. or at least a stronger approach to exemptions, okay. would be the next step after implementing the laws you already wrote that mm -hmm. you don't want to implement. So, okay. And you know, in the time for that kind of thinking, is now. I mean, I, yep. I think that it's interesting. Well. It, you know, we're unfortunately in a, in a reactionary state at this point, but there's a new opportunity in the sense that, or from the perspective that there's a zoning rewrite process that's getting started. So this, this could be an opportunity, to your point, if, if the city could seize that, to address so many of these infrastructure-related issues, right? Whether it's issues around accommodating transit, but also accommodating the kinds of infrastructure needed to support the the water systems and sewer treatment systems and all the other facets of of managing you know our um, our uh, our capacity generally speaking could be addressed now there's an opportunity to do that and um you know so i think i think that there's definitely and there's some hope on the horizon but i do think that you you highlighted something that that uh tamika and i talk a lot about is that it's not that we can't figure out a way to do things. It's just that we have been doing things a certain way. And I'm sure you've heard this term before, right? The Atlanta way, quote unquote. <laughs> yes. For Compromise. So right. right. <laughs> Compromise or in, you know, or another way to say it is that, and I think you said it really well earlier, is that I think we have, you know, the, this is a typical or classic case of socializing costs and privatizing all of the benefits. So we, yep. we continue to, to do that. Atlanta has a long history of doing that, even to your point, as you as you hinted at earlier, of co-opting the civil rights movement in and of itself is a device that has been leveraged in some cases to do the same thing through the mechanism of regime politics. We talk about that all the time. And you look at the way the city is configured and it literally physically, it, it communicates that. You know, we look at it, even the way decisions are made around where bike lanes go and where they don't go or where certain kinds of improvements get made, whether regardless of what it is, whether it's sewer treatment, whether it's um, transportation infrastructure, it really all boils down to the same issue. Mm -hmm. And that's our politics, right? It's, yeah. We know how to fix a lot of this stuff. It's not, we, we've done the planning. The plans have been done. <laughs> Pretty, yeah. They're stacked up for years. Um, across across the spectrum right and um so and the really, funding is there like something yeah. to keep in mind this yeah, new yeah. The, i know the green new deal didn't really pass but they modified almost every transportation grant in the country that now allows stormwater and water infrastructure to be a mm -hmm. part of that grant mm. 
And so when we're thinking about the belt line and we don't have money, well, you do have money. You just need to first acknowledge the scale of the issue Mm -hmm. and then second, communicate it. And there's something about the acknowledgement that Atlanta waits on the community to know it before acknowledging it. That is the issue. Leadership is about bringing up these things to the people. Leadership is not about waiting till the people come to you. And we only have the tough places to build. Um, Some of the only places, and I talked to Tamika about this, um, that are still separated through City of Atlanta parcel lines that used Mm -hmm. to be historic red lines. And during the 1960s, in those agreements before the Civil Rights Act, the city converted swaths of land into public right-of-way. Those are the places that we need to acknowledge that there are these issues. Because those are the places that still are available for development. And if we acknowledge that there are problems in the lowlands, or we acknowledge there's problems between neighborhoods that used to be racially segregated, then together, those places that we don't know what we can do with in the past, we could do something in the future. And Mm -hmm. healing is not a, and I think this is something that I need to be clear about, it is not about fixing infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Healing is about repairing the damages of the past to grow sustainably right. in the future. Um, and if we repair the damages caused, the environment will regenerate. And environmental benefits and the secondary benefits of ecology, um, I, I, I really got into this when I was working. I, when I, I really got sick of civil engineering. And I started evaluating the neighborhoods of Atlanta. And mm-hmm. like, there's a, almost a tonal element to it. I'm old. I used to use Pandora. And... <laughs> There's almost the same element you had when you made a Pandora playlist when you walked into Summer Hill or walked into certain neighborhoods in Atlanta, and it felt like that was the tone of that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And that was because people were responding, and the environment was responding, and it created a habitat. Um, The UN defines habitat not as natural infrastructure. The habitat includes people. Yeah, and right. the habitation of our city is something that we can repair. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we start doing that, the city it will give back um, because Atlanta is a city in the trees and our ecology and our economies can leverage that for a more sustainable future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. I've learned so much from you, Hytham. This has been so wonderful i'm i could talk to you all day but i'm not gonna do that to you uh because i still got so many questions i'm like wow how does i I would do you know if there are tours of water treatment plants or or anything where you could really visualize um what's going on at the south river what's going on Uh, i mean anything like that because i think that's, that's that's part of the public's ignorance is not being able to visualize exactly yeah. what happens when I run my water, where it comes from, when I flush my toilet, where it comes from, what, when it rains and it goes down the sewer, right? What, what really happens? I don't think mm-hmm. people understand that. And trash, you know what I mean? Like my sons are in Cub Scouts. One of the things they had to do this week was pick up trash in the park. People don't understand that, that if that trash is not picked up, where is it gonna go Mm -hmm. where is Mm -hmm. it going to go and and Mm -hmm. the way that we make food and that's another issue too the way that we make food now in 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 the especially the united states is so industrialized i'm not sure if anything's biodegradable based on what we're eating and so if if food gets thrown out how, how biodegradable is it because it's so 
inorganic. It's not organic. It's something that is made in a lab. So I guess that's my question to you. How can people visualize exactly the problem? I would say, so to answer your first question, I doubt the city of Atlanta will let anybody go to their sewer facilities with how it is now. Um, But you may be able to go to Emory's Water Hub and see some of the elements there. There is a book that is the best book ever at really making, it made me realize the dynamics of history. It's called An Underground Guide to Sewers. Um, And it talks about the history of sewers from origination till now. And it really made me understand what sewer design was almost artistic. It was Mm. geometric. It was, it thought about the land. Um, And so I love that book. But I think there is a responsibility as a designer to design things in ways that allows people to feel more sustainable. Um, There has been this weird narrative, and I don't like it, where there is a guilt trip being pushed upon individuals, whereas a majority of our impacts can be done through production. Um, And I worked on a floating city project um, that was sponsored by the UN, and we worked with Claire at the Center for Zero Waste. She's amazing. Claire Mifflin's amazing. She mm. pulled up one of those trash cans that has like eight different holes. And she goes, an architect designed that. Because <laughs> as a designer, our responsibility is to make sure when you walk into this food, food hall, mm-hmm. you can put it into two trash cans. Mm-hmm. And as a programmer, it is your responsibility to understand that your plastic waste goes somewhere. As Coca-Cola sitting on the top of the ridge draining into three watersheds where your headquarters is, it's your responsibility to understand that 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 trap in Proctor Creek that's catching all those Coca-Cola bottles Mm -hmm. is also your production responsibility. Mm. And so I would say as a society, our job is A, to accept that there may be an incremental increase in cost, but that 10 cents is the difference between your community growing sustainability mm-hmm. sustainably mm-hmm. and our jobs as designers is to make infrastructure and community more efficient to make up for that cost delta um, because i live in new york city and i'm i spend less than i spend in atlanta sometimes why because mm. the urban design was yep. built before cars you look ah. at the grid of new york city you look at the maps of new york city the entire grid system was there before there were bridges mm. Mm. so the human scale the commute is what I like to tell people. The shorter you can make the commute, the more time you give to people to take care of their environment around them. And I noticed it during COVID. Um, through urban design, I was able to go to parks and infrastructure that other people could not go to. And everyone started opening their eyes to, oh, man, I see fireflies this year. I yeah. grew up seeing fireflies all the time. Yep. Like That is the awareness through design that makes people bring back their humanistic element and and see it as a community. So community building is my answer to that and pointing the finger at production Mm. and design more than pointing your finger at individuals, Mm. um, I think is a, is is a really important tactic. So, okay. I have this uh, book called New York underground and I'm Mm. always uh, following, you know, certain pages on Facebook where they talk about the history of New York. And one of those is the, Croton Aqueduct? I might not yeah. have seen that right. Yeah, I worked on that thing. <laughs> you did? Do, you worked on yeah. that as well? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Because it's no longer there, right? Is the library yeah. there or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they moved it. They like moved, they moved the like locations around and they're okay. building, they built a new facility that's like 10 stories deep. Okay. That's like, it's it's wild. The tunnel, okay. uh, if, you, if you watch, what was that movie uh, uh, that we watch, you watch every Christmas um, uh, with, uh, 
what is it? I forgot. The the one that's like the shooting in the Christmas story, and there's always a, a, a Die Hard oh, when okay, they're driving okay. through the tunnels. Yeah. That's oh, one yeah. of those aqueducts. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay. That is so awesome. That I would I, I would love to have you back on the show to talk about what you have learned being in New York. Uh, we have a, a mutual friend, Jason and I, uh, Paul, and he now works for the uh, Long Island Railroad, and so he's been. Mm. Uh, incremental. He's he's been instrumental in the uh, development of the the West Side access. I hope I'm saying that right, um, or the East Side access. One of the two. Jason, you yep. can t- correct me if I'm wrong. But anyway, another line coming into Grand Central Terminal, I believe. And so I would love to know, as a civil engineer, how is the the, the I guess the integration of that project been with stormwater treatment and yeah. infrastructure. So that would be great to know. As I well. would say like as a linear designer, I'm working on a first nations project in Vancouver that they're trying to put a, um, a, a new transit line through there and a sewer keeps hitting it. Um, as a linear designer, every time you think about, I am struggling with a vertical curve mm-hmm. um, and you're having to pull some shenanigans on a horizontal curve, mm-hmm. you should look up, look at the infrastructure interacting with and look at the infrastructure upstream of it mm-hmm. because generally that is where the land form of gravity based infrastructure and transit infrastructure mm. intersect perpendicularly mm. um, and that becomes one of the largest that's one of the reasons everyone says like yeah they wanted to go through the middle of Atlanta but they went around to create racial segregation they did do that to wipe mm-hmm. out footprints mm-hmm. but also the vertical curve of going up downtown and around was near impossible and so the, the, the sweeping around and taking over the headwaters of the watersheds um, was what they had to do to build the highways. Um, and that's something as linear designers, transit designers, infrastructure designers, it's hard to understand because your survey ends 100 feet to the left or 100 feet to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something as we can do much better at when we're designing infrastructure like that. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this has absolutely. been awesome. 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 I appreciate you, Hytham. I enjoy talking with you. I enjoy working with you. So I'm hoping to learn more going forward. Um, and you are invited on here at any time. I'll reach out to you after this to see if we can. We have a, a Instagram to see if we can share some of the photos from your PowerPoint uh, on oh, yeah. the Instagram to kind of get people acclimated to exactly what you're talking about and the confluence of uh, stormwater, watershed, uh, infrastructure to how we have developed in Atlanta and what we need to do going forward so i've learned so much from you in this hour and i want to thank you no problem this is fun i babble all the time so feel free to reach out if you have any questions <laughs> i will do that i will do that jason do you have any other questions oh no just wanted to, to thank you so much for for your um for time with us this afternoon and really appreciate it just hearing your perspective i mean it was it's fascinating there's so much more to talk about but um this has been a great conversation and we'll definitely look forward to to having you back because I, I really think that there's and Tamika I think you said it well is that I think helping people understand just the integration mm-hmm. of infrastructure I think is really powerful because I think a lot of times it's out of sight out of mind yes. you, you don't see you know you do your thing you know the water dis- magically disappears off the street after the storm and everything looks fine right you don't think about it right and I think yeah. that's part of the issue or you don't think about you know what's going on underground and all the conversations that have to go on when you're trying to figure out where to put the transit right is it a tunnel is it elevated is it not and things tend to just to be reduced to cost conversations without really getting into the details that are that lie under that right it's not just cost there's a whole 
litany of other issues that feed into that. So this is a great conversation and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to us doing this again and, and really getting into more of the details. Yes. Happy to. Yes. I'm and, happy to share all my maps. I, I do yeah. it well best with, with mapping. So Okay, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And what was the name of that book again? Underground? An Underground Guide to Sewers. Guide um, to and it, it talks sewers. about, okay. yeah, it talks about Paris, London, New York. And I mean, I, it, it's artistic. Okay. I love it. So. Okay, <laughs> great. I'm going to put that as uh, in the show notes so people can cool. uh, see that. But thank you and so it, much. If you want a name, I, the way I always talk about Atlanta is downtown is where rivers are born. Um, and okay. so thinking about Atlanta, where rivers are born, um, and the rail lines act like their own dry river beds, mm -hmm. um, was always a fascinating way to think about the city. So. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Hytham. And I want to thank our audience for listening in. I will put as much information I can as on, on the show notes and also share some of Hytham's maps on our Instagram feed. Uh, and we appreciate it. And so this is the next stop. It's the best stop. This particular episode is... How do we make our next stop in Watershed and Stormwater our best stop? And we want to thank Hytham for coming on and giving us some information on how we can do that. So thank you both. All right. See y'all. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. This train is bound Creek Station.